Welcome to the Mindspace Cap... <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I should include that or not. I'm probably not. Welcome That's to the Mindspace Cafe. We are on episode 5. We had a resounding negative 5 people listen to the last episode. It was our most people we listened to ever. It was the... No, no, it was the absolute most people. If that makes sense. I don't know if there's any math majors listening to us in their free time. You know, I was about to say that you don't need to be a math major to understand what George means by absolute most people, but you never know. You just never know. <laughs> yeah, especially with me, you never know. Hey, squirrel. Uh, so, um, blah, my tongue is not uh, being untied today. Carl, you had a topic that you really wanted to discuss before we got on the air. Uh, I did. And no silver tongue today, George. I'm disappointed in you. So sad. So sad. But the topic I did want to discuss was um, the book Ready Player One by Ernest Klein, I believe. Yes. Which oh, I my hear goodness. you are reading or listening to right now. Yes, I'm listening to it, and I am halfway through it, and the plot just thickened to about the same thickness as pancake batter. Wow, it is good. It is a good book. I read it twice because it was the first book in a long time to keep me on the edge of my seat as I read it. Like I, I could see that actually. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's a page turner it and is. it's excellent in what it does. And it, for me at least raised some interesting questions mm -hmm. because the book focuses around, um, this kid, I guess. I, I'm not entirely sure how old he is. He's like, she's got out of high school, but, who is playing slash interacting with this virtual reality world called the Oasis that has been built. And it's basically like replaced the internet. And it's what most people use to interact around the world because energy crisis and such. But a lot of people escape to the Oasis. And I thought this was really interesting because then the entire plot's built around this point And it's like... The way I see it is humanity has two major ways in which it can expand itself. And the first way is through virtual reality and just focusing on computing power and stuff like that. And the second way is the other sci-fi that you could do is uh, space exploration and expansion and colonization of planets. And it's just interesting that this book focuses on the virtual reality side of sci-fi and kind of explores that premise. Yeah, it's an absolutely fantastic way uh, to get someone into artificial intelligence and like augmented reality or virtual reality. One of the things or one of the themes that was really brought up in the book, or at least this portion of the book that I've been listening to so far is do people use the Oasis to escape the problems and Therefore, it is exacerbating the crisis that's happening on Earth. You know, that's kind of, you know, it's it's a really, really interesting thing to think about because humanity in this book, I believe it's like in the 2040s or something, it, it, it Earth is just a horrible place to live. Uh, you know, population is, you know, population is like getting into like the low, like, I think it's like 20 billion people or something, and, you know, there's not enough food, there's not enough water, not enough air, you well, know. It, 
it's not just a population issue, actually. It's an energy crisis. Yeah. Which is scary because it's entirely realistic. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. I agree that it's realistic. But what I'm what I'm getting at here is like, you know, people want a way to escape from the real world. And, you know, nothing's wrong with escaping from the real world. I like a good book just as I mean, I'm listening to I'm listening to this book anyway. uh, I like a good book as much as anyone does. But the whole but the premise of people but the whole premise of people escaping into another world so that they can if you're doing it to deal with the problems that you have, it's fan- it's it's yeah, it can be okay. But then again, at the same time, you're not facing the problems that you're dealing with head on. So it's kind of it, it. It's almost like you're running away from the problems. And I don't know if the plot changes anywhere, like in the last it, anywhere further on in the book that I haven't read yet. But I'm really, really interested to see where it takes this plot because it's you know it's like I said, it's thicker than pancake batter. Um, well, okay, so I, I have a point to make to respond to you here, is that, yeah, I bet people use the Oasis to escape reality, because, yeah, reality is pretty crappy in this book. But I would disagree for the most part on your point that this exacerbates the situation. I don't think it does. I think that people using the Oasis to escape just becomes a way to placate the masses, which is a good thing if you have a crisis, because you don't need riots on the streets every day, because that just will just destroy resources. And the Oasis just works to placate people. I think that is an understated help in the book, mostly, but the book doesn't focus on the reality. It focuses on Oasis, so it doesn't go into that in very much detail. But I would say that it does help to a degree. Yeah, well, to a degree. On I don't know. I'm one of those guys who would rather you know, pick up a pitchfork and actually start digging and start pulling up potatoes and start trying to, you know, revamp the energy crisis, even if it's turning watermelons into light bulbs. But, you know, that's just me. I I don't think you can turn... I don't think you can turn watermelons into light bulbs, George. Uh, now I'm really curious as to if I can actually do that. I know I just said that just now, but... Uh, come back to me. Maybe next episode I will have successfully turned a watermelon into a light bulb. And that will be our new icon and our new logo for this podcast. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I will believe it when I see it. Uh, but I want to go back to my point about, you know, you have your virtual reality sci-fi versus your space race sci-fi, basically. And uh, virtual reality sci-fi has gotten more popular because, you know... Space exploration slowed down considerably uh, in the latter half of the 20th century, and then computing power became the whole new big thing. But, George, if you had to choose which direction humanity went in, like, between we get to build and experience and create awesome virtual reality, or we can go ahead and colonize and explore the stars, which would you choose? I think I know which one you'll choose, but I want to see what do you think. Oh man, uh, I'm gonna pick neither, and I'm gonna say in uh, to peer inside the mind and actually understand how this two pound, two and a half pound organ sitting on our shoulders that named itself uh, actually works to the fullest extent. So that could be 
that could be a measure of both, if you really think about it. We're exploring the space within our minds, but we are virtu- we are understanding the virtual world and the space that is within ourselves. So that just that just flipped 180 degrees on your head, didn't it? No, you're just using semantics, and you're avoiding my question. It sounds <laughs> like you're on the side of virtual reality, so that is the answer I will take. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm actually... In my own opinion, I'd be I'd be more along the lines of exploring the worlds around you. Okay, yeah. But all right, yeah. so yeah, that's what I thought. I thought that you would go with the whole planetary solar system exploration. I would, hands down. Like in that in that scenario, I just wanted to I just wanted to pester you like I always do. But um, yeah, I would all I would go for the planetary exploration by far. It's like absolutely fascinating what could be out there. What worlds exist out there what what is on our planet that we have yet to discover i mean you know the common the common trope that you know we know more about the moon than we do about the deepest parts of the ocean it's just what is really out there and it's yeah it's fascinating i don't want to say out there and you know in space too many times because then i sound like i sound like a ripoff version of carl sagan well, I mean, space exploration, if you're thinking on the terms of humanity as a whole, is certainly more um, useful because you can then, you need to propagate humanity off-world because, you know, it's just, if we stay on Earth for too long, we will end up destroying ourselves. It's just statistical certainty because we have the means. We have nuclear weapons. We've tried to blow ourselves up in the past. There have been some close calls. And I think there's going to be a couple more close calls in the near future if you've been paying attention to the news. Yeah, which is why you know offsite backup. Uh, yeah, so, I was just gonna, I was just gonna go with that. It's like if you send huma- some people uh, to Mars, it's like you have an offsite backup for humanity. You have, uh, you know, you have the golden record that just went past uh, the past the solar system or past the outer. Ri- uh, edges of the solar system then you have a backup on mars like wouldn't it be really funny if there was an actual hardware slash software um device like i don't know like a like a a, gr- a gray goo uh robot that if in the event that humanity is completely destroyed it just sends over a capsule from mars that recreates the entire planet you you have such a fertile imagination george but, but wouldn't that be incredible? Yeah. That would be pretty incredible. Almost magical. Hey, yeah, to all, the, all the five up. people that are listening to this podcast, I came up with this idea right here, right now. I already patented and trademarked this. You can't take it from me. Yeah. Well, yeah. But offside backup for humanity, pretty important, you'd say. However, virtual reality. If, if I had to choose between which technology tree I would want advancing, I would probably just go with virtual reality if I was being selfish, because on an individual level, that's much cooler Uh. and much more useful to me as a person, as an individual. But I mean, if I were like made king of the world and said, hey, Carl, which one, which one would you choose? I'd be like, well, I guess I'll have to go with the space program. Aw, shucks. Yeah. Because it's important. Aw, shucks. Well, no, see, for me, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could do that call for making it um, into the 
uh, virtual reality. I understand the importance of virtual reality and, you know, humanity has a huge um, wealth of data to have access to. But at the same time, that that data is worth nothing if you can't apply it in a sensical fashion. Now, yes, if you live in the Oasis or if you do live in some sort of virtual reality, it could potentially become useful to understand the uh, Dungeons and Dragons and it could be your whole life. But at the same time, I mean, unless we find a planet where the laws of Dungeons and Dragons actually exists, I don't think it's going to apply to the rest of your existence. I'm not saying it's not a cool game. I'm just saying it's it's kind of like, I don't want to say pointless, but eh, help me out here, buddy. Well, it's it's not pointless. It just depends on what you think the goal of human life is. Is the goal to be happy? In which case, virtual reality would make a lot of sense because you can make virtual reality infinitely more pleasurable than actual reality because actual reality sucks a lot of the time. So that would be the way to go. If you want it to be happy, if you want people to be happy and satisfied, yeah, VR. But if you think the goal of humanity is to propagate and explore, then you're yeah, you're gonna want to go with offsite backup. <laughs> this is and that's actually a perfect segue to the next topic that I know you're gonna speak about, but I think this is you know, now that I'm really listening to how we talk, it can really show through what we prioritize and kind of our roots. Because I'm thinking, because the way I was speaking of and the way I'm thinking uh, uh, about this issue is from a, um, man, uh, I don't know how to describe it. I'm just going to call it what it is. From an immigrant perspective, like my family, I'm first generation in the United States. And it's like, we came here because we didn't have much from the old country and we came here for new opportunities and new, you know, ways of living for our family. And then you coming from, I'm just going to say, I'm going to say a middle-class family who is content in the situation. Like, I don't know how many generations you've been in this country, but like it, oh man, I just go coming from a psychological perspective. I think that's fascinating. Anyway, back to the segue, you were talking about offsite backup, but here's one of the problems with offsite backup as I've been recently going through is you need to have something to store that backup on. And currently the cheapest and most reliable, well, most reliable in air quotes way to back up your stuff is on a local hard drive system. And, Oh my God, that is not fun to work with. Are we talking about computers now? Yeah, we're talking about mod. Yeah, I was I was playing no into your segue perfectly. You didn't catch that. Uh, no more talking about humans as if they're data points. Shucks. But <laughs> actually, I, before we go on to computers, I want to touch something on off-site backup, and it's the route that a lot of sci-fi has explored is where you know you have the humans. And they go to, like, Mars, and they colonize Mars. But then, as you colonize Mars, you're a political entity under maybe some other country on Earth, or the United Nations or something like that. But then, of course, Mars doesn't like the way it's being treated by Earth politics, so it becomes independent, and then you have, like, interplanetary wars and stuff. And, yeah, so, as you were saying, not always the funnest, (laughs) but probably necessary. But as for computers, 
Um, yeah, I can imagine mirroring hard drives is not the simplest procedure. It, I mean, it, it, honestly, if you have a software like Carbon Copy Cloner, it's a piece of cake. You just press two buttons and it and it works on its own. But the copying process isn't difficult. The problem is when one of those drives fails. And one of those drives is your backup. Well, why don't you just get online backup? Offsite backup. Trust me, dude. When you have a residential uh, internet connection, uploading eight terabytes of work is not going to be easy. Hmm. I suppose you do have a point. Yeah. Well, I'm currently looking at my hard drive bay right now. I have eight, sixteen, um, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four. 24 terabytes sitting on my desk right now. Oh, no. 24, 25, 26, 26 terabytes plus an 8 terabyte that's busted that I have to send in and get fixed. Um, uh, so what is that? 20, uh, what did I say? 26. Uh, so that's 34 terabytes. And then I have a 3 terabyte that's failed. So I need to get a backup of that. So even you can add that into this. So I have 34, I have 37 terabytes sitting on my desk of data. Don't tell me that an online backup solution is going to back this up in a reasonable amount of time. Uh, you know, it, it just confuzzles me every time you mention how many terabytes you have sitting on your desk. It's a lot of terabytes. It's a lot of data. It is a lot of data. Fortunately, not all of it's full, but, you know, when it does get full is when I'm scared. Oh my gosh. Yeah, like 24 of those terabytes, um, my three 8-terabyte drives, I just got in the last, let's say, four months. And let me tell you, it is a lifesaver. I was running I was running all of my media off of just, like, just a 5-terabyte drive and two 1-terabytes. So, you know, only 7, only seven terabytes only of media. Only 7 terabytes? How did you live, George? <laughs> oh my god, flashback to 2012. Oh yeah, yeah. So a little quote. bit, a little bit of backstory on this one. So Carl and I, we alluded to it in the last episode. We've known each other for seven years now. Uh, so if you do the math backwards, that's 2010. Um, I first was, I first was given a laptop in 2011, early 2011, uh, April, like early April, and I had learned how to use Final Cut on the. Uh, laptops at the Apple Store, and it was it was absolutely fantastic. And I'm looking at the hard drive solutions at the time. Uh, the largest a terabyte, uh, a largest a hard drive could go, like a three and a half inch hard drive, was three terabytes, and you could get a a Lacie drive that could fit up to twelve terabytes, so four drives. And I was talking with Carl because you know I thought it was a big shot at the time. I'm like. I, I'm I'm thinking to myself, uh, man, I I'm doing a lot of video work, and honestly, I was shooting on a point and shoot. It was hysterical. Uh, I was also what this is 2012, so I was 13. Uh, little baby George. <laughs> little baby George. I still had a I still have more mustache than you do right now. Um, but it was it was so funny. I was telling him. Uh, I might need to use 12 terabytes for a backup system and get everything ready, and I might even need to get a Drobo. For any of you who are in the professional field, know that Drobos are decently reliable without much setup. 
And then we were like, oh, no, yeah, I completely understand. And we, we thought we were big shots when we were talking about this. And then you said, imagine our kids when they say that 12 terabytes. How did you live? And here I am, not mm -hmm. even not even like five years later from that, I have close to 40 terabytes sitting on my desk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a name for that. There's a name for the exponential growth or the linear growth of um, computer data storage and processing. I cannot remember what it's called right now. Moore's Law? Uh, yes, Moore's Law. That is it. Yeah. So it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently as I've been getting all my, you know, getting this hard drive to fail, like getting this hard drive to fail. No, as I've had this hard drive <laughs> fail. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's very hard to get a hard drive to fail. I think, I think no, all there's that requires a, is a simple hammer. Yeah, well, not even that. Well, there's a lemon law in hard drives. What? Uh, you've never heard of a lemon law? No. Oh, well, it's a, it's a thing with cars. If a car doesn't work, like, when it's just, when you just get it from the dealer or from, yeah, I'm going to say from the dealer. It applies to new cars because you do not buy old hard drives. Um, when you buy a car off the lot, um, if it doesn't work within the first three months, then you got a bad car, a.k.a. a lemon. With hard drives, it's kind of the same principle. If you get them and it doesn't work with, if it stops working within a few months, then it's a bad hard drive. And that so it's if it continues to work after that point, uh, I would still send it in for I would still send it in for repair. But if you get one and it works perfectly fine, you could have a hard drive. I have a hard drive sitting on my desk right now that I've been using for the past ten years and it still works. Yes, it scares me that I've had it for ten years, but still it works. Mm. Yeah, lemon law, huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, these are solid state drives, right? No, these are mechanical drives. Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah. Is the 10-year one solid state? Huh? Is this 10-year one solid state? Uh, no, it's mechanical. That sounds dangerous. That sounds it, dangerous. It is very dangerous. I've demoted it to a backup drive, but mm. it's still, yeah, it's still pretty dangerous. Like, I have a little bit of, of masking tape on it that says photo backup 2010 to 2017. I mean, it's only a terabyte, so I could only, yeah, I can only do like seven year back. Wow, that is so funny. I'm saying I'm only backing up seven years onto one terabyte. I shoot a lot. Yeah, it's only a terabyte. Oh, my goodness. I remember when Apple came out with its terabyte hard drives for the big desktop computers, and I was like, wow, a thousand gigabytes. Oh, my goodness. This is crazy. So, Why did you sound like Heinz Doofenshmirtz when you were eight? I, I, that was how I sounded, apparently. I, I sounded like an evil scientist kid, I guess. <laughs> no, you, you sounded like Dr. Heinz Doofenshmirtz, a guy who gets his butt kicked regularly by a platypus. Hey, I never said I was a winner. Yeah. Je ne sais pas. Anyway, Carl, uh, since you're the one who directs most of the subjects on this podcast, is there anything else you'd like to talk about, or else do you want to end this show right now on an awkward note? Oh, what a smooth segue. <laughs> awkward transition back to Carl. I actually have a question for you. What's up? What is your opinion on how some colleges and universities seem to focus mainly not on academics, but on sports teams, especially in the U.S., football. How do you feel about this? Uh, okay. Um, to tell you the truth, 
I don't know, because the university I'm going to, UC Riverside, does not have a football team. Actually, it hasn't had a football team since the 70s. Um, hmm. Devoting more time... Well, okay, I actually, I actually have an answer for this one. Um, universities have been becoming more and more of a... Um, Bubble, and I don't mean to say a bubble as in like uh, protected and all and all this like uh, all the stuff that people like to say that um, blah, 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 all the things that people like to say they are in the media like oh these kids are isolated these kids don't know what they're doing they're like they're like being babied or anything that's not what I'm talking about when they say this that's that's a whole different uh, subject you wanna you wanna hear something like that go watch go watch Alex Jones or something and he's you know he's a character um, but my opinion of this is that colleges are becoming more and more um, they want to pull you out of the family ring. And have your life be fully centered around the university. And I mean, yeah, it's kind of a marketing technique and a kind of a business tactic so that you can spend more money at the college. But there's there's something to be said about that because I'm I'm recently I'm looking over my classes for the fall quarter at UCR and you know most of them you can only get like because I'm a commuter, I'd like to get three days of school. I don't care if I have back to back classes, but I just want three days so that I don't have to commute, you know, two hours in the morning and two hours at night. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, most of these things are scheduled out so that you have uh, a four-day week or a five-day week, and sometimes you have a six-day week. They yeah. want to, yeah, uh, but, but when they do that, they have like two or three classes a day, so it's actually not that bad if you spread them out. Um, but... You know, they want you to fully immerse yourself in the school. And to an extent, I can kind of I can kind of see where that's coming from, because if you fully immerse yourself in that world, then you are going to do better academically. If you live on campus, well, I'm going to make a few I'm going to make a few gross assumptions here. Gross meaning exponential, not gross as in uh, like two day old stubble. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Continue. Yeah. So, like, I'm gonna make a few gross assumptions here along the lines of um, if you live on campus, if you have a roommate that studies generally, and I mean, I mean, they don't have to be a brainiac like Carl here, but they could be like they can study and they can help you out with a class. You help them out with a class. Like, you have a very like semi responsible attitude towards school and you are only like five minutes away from campus or you live on campus, you're generally going to do better than someone who lives off campus. Now, there's always an anomaly. There's always going to be that one kid who was fortunate enough to do all the work and was able to continue um, on and get a 4.0 GPA. I don't know how that's even possible anymore. Um, but, you know, that's, you know, the the generalization that someone who lives on campus is going to do better is certainly true. But if you live on campus, you know, the campus doesn't want you to think that it's all school. Cause then if it's all work, 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 you know, people aren't going to get, uh, people aren't going to be motivated to go there. It's just going to be, it's just going to be like, Oh, I'm just going to go there to work, uh, man. Um, and it's also, <sighs> and now that, now that the internet's a thing, like it's an actual thing. You can take classes online that can be just as expensive, but you can do it at home in your underwear. So uh, to combat this, colleges, uh, 
in my opinion, they add more people who are, or not just more people, but more programs that are not education centric, but they are um, social centric because human beings are social creatures. They kind of figured, okay, let's see if we can make it a social setting. Then people will actually like the um, the surroundings they're in and not, you know, curse us until their de- until their grave, which people still do curse college until their gravestone. But you know, that's that's just because you had a bad class doesn't mean you have to curse the school for the rest of your life. It seems like you're making the argument that colleges and universities will do this to draw kids in and to sort of keep them engaged, which I suppose if you have a relatively small sports team, like Cal Poly doesn't really have any large sports team, except perhaps it's men's soccer, but it's not famous or anything. Yeah, you probably can just use that as a sort of supplement to aid and abet your students and such like that. But I was more asking along the lines of, like, large colleges and large universities, like UCLA UCLA and Alabama. Well, no, UCLA is still pretty academic. I'm talking about, like, Mississippi Valley schools a lot. I can't name any in particular, but I know that there are schools out there who will, they, they focus a lot on like their football teams, for example, because the football teams make them money. And so because the football teams make them so much money, they will offer like full ride scholarships to good football uh, players. And I, in my first reaction to this, this whole idea of just just offering full ride academic scholarships to people who are mainly focused on sport is one of bitterness. <laughs> one of but, no 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 no. Don't take that as bitterness. I actually will defend that. I will sit here and I will defend that right now. Well, okay, okay. My first, my gut reaction is bitterness, but you know, the more I think about it, it's just like, oh uh, well. I mean, that's just what it is. I mean, that's just no the no no. I, mean, I don't think it's what it is though. It. Actually, I well. I don't think it's just what it is, because I've been spending a lot of time around athletes recently, especially in the last few months. I've been working on myself. I've been trying to get myself toned up. Um, I have two months until school. I want to see if I can, if I can, you know, come back and turn some heads. You never know. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you never know. I might be able to do something. But no, seriously, there is a mentality. I mean, there's the stereotype of the dumb jock. I honestly think is completely, well, again, there's caveats, uh, is uh, the stereotype of the dumb jock is com- is almost certainly unfounded because it's like these people, especially nowadays, they're studying muscle groups. They're studying um, kinesthetics. They're studying how the body moves and how, yeah, my dog is agreeing with me on this one. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, okay, okay, we got your point. We got your point. Um, but... They're studying how the human body works. I mean, it's insane what you have to do in order to um, to become a professional athlete. It is a lot of training. It's a lot of discipline. It's a lot of dedication. You know, I know people who walk into a gym and are like, nope, and they walk out, usually, <laughs> usually with an obscene gesture on their hands. But it's like... It takes a mindset, and it takes a dedication, and it takes a... Yeah, again, I know you agree with me, Cameo. Um, okay, we get it. Um, it takes a mindset, and it takes a dedication that most people don't have. And I've definitely uh, I've definitely seen this in more athletes than I have academics. Like, academic people, most academically inclined people, 
don't learn for the learning aspect of it. Like they're not curious about it. Like I'll I'll be awake at three o'clock in the morning googling random stuff. Like <laughs> okay, we get it. You were there. Um. Yeah, I am having. Yeah, my dog is a pain in the butt. She's cameo. She's <laughs> she's. Oh my goodness, she's gonna. Uh, yeah, I said you're a pain in the butt. She's gonna be eleven years old in a, a week. That, okay. I'm gonna put you in timeout if you don't shut up. <laughs> there we go. Now she well, shuts up. But um, it seem, It seems like you're advocating for balance in someone's life, which, yeah, is probably a good thing. If you're exercising, I can just imagine that that would have beneficial uh, effects on cognitive ability, mood, experience, and such, uh, which is true. You're saying this as if you've never exercised and you're just experiencing exercise through a textbook. Yeah, no, I just, I I don't move at all. Um, and, yet you, and yet you still fish. have, and yet you still have a decent physique. Meanwhile, I am. I went, I was being sarcastic. I went running this morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you do go hiking on a regular basis too, but like, <laughs> okay, we get it. Shut up. You're more physically fit than Carl. Are you happy now? Thank you. you see, you're not paying attention to her. You're not giving her the attention she deserves, George. Oh my goodness! Yeah, there's a there's a joke in the house that I don't have a girlfriend because I have cameo, or that she is my girlfriend. That is both hilarious and disturbing. Yes, I know. Like most things, you find out about me. <laughs> that's that's funny because it's true. <laughs> George. Uh, yes. Subtitle: Hilarious and disturbing. <laughs> hilarious and disturbing. Okay, I'll write that down right now. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, sports and exercise—they're good for you. They're good for you. It just—it's just interesting to see the system that's popped up through what are supposed to be academic institutions. Well, think but about I mean, it for think about that, Carl. It's an academic, so you're going to learn academia, right? So you're going to learn stuff. So you are teaching your body how to work. Shut up, Cameo. Yeah, I guess you just you keep you keep going on about this this idea that institutions are doing it purely because they think it's beneficial to their students, but Oh no, I'm I mean, not saying that. They're not charities. No, they're, they're businesses. That's what I'm saying. Well, oh, didn't I just say that at the onset? I said that it's good for their business too. I will rewind this yeah. podcast so that people can rehear it. No, you did. You did. You said. You said that it because they're doing it because it's beneficial. But it's not the the whole idea of it being beneficial to academic students is just a nifty little side effect. I think. I think it's mostly they do it because it makes them money. Through advertising revenue and sponsorships of the sports team. Because lots of people watch sports teams, and where there are lots of volleyballs in one place, there's lots of money to be made. For a second, I thought you said a lot of volleyballs in one place, which I could agree. There's a lot of money to be made playing volleyball. Uh, yeah, not so much in the U.S. as, like, say, football. But yeah, some people do watch volleyball. Football Americano? Football Americano. Although I will say, I don't... 
like watching sports really at all. I find it deathly boring, to be honest. Especially, like, football seems just... Doesn't look like there's much happening except for a few seconds. And then baseball, that you can't barely see the players in the huge field. But the one sport that I will watch, and I do find interesting, if it's on television and I see it playing, I will watch it, is golf. Carl, I'm gonna I'm going to ruin your whole world in four words. Okay, I'm ready. You're a mathematics major. Um, how is that supposed to ruin my world? That is probably Carl. You're saying that you're saying that these sports are boring, and yet you like golf, Carl. That is <laughs> Carl. What is wrong with you? I've okay. I photographed okay, I photographed golf courses for business. I photographed one of the largest golf courses two weeks ago. And oh my goodness, I wanted to puncture my eyeballs. It's like it's it's like okay, everyone on the podcast, quiet down for a second. Be careful everyone. I want to listen I want to hear the grass grow. Uh okay, this guy hits it with a this guy hits it with a putter and he hits it. Oh no, he just missed it. Uh, I, I lost a very lucrative career at a library for this. So, anyway, I'm going to be speaking into this microphone anyway. What kind of person speaks like that? That is not humanly... Oh my god, that is... Like, like Robin Williams has a, a fantastic skit on this. Someone look it up. It's a, it's a fantastic skit. It's absolutely funny. Put your headphones on. It's a little obscene. But my favorite thing he says is they should get the guy who announces Mexican, uh, football... Or Brazilian football, and the ball's going in the hole to do Brazilian uh, to do um, golf. Because honestly, that that sport, I don't even consider it a sport. I just think it's it's an excuse for it's an ex- it's an excuse for people to dress and f- uh, in a way that flaunts their status without flaunting their taste and style. Okay. Yeah. Any golf that is underneath, like, the world championships, yeah, is probably going to be boring to watch and painful to think about. But if I'm watching, like, a championship, like, you can see these players, I don't know, it just, you can see how when they hit the ball and it goes through the air and it lands so close to the hole, you can, you can, I can appreciate the skill that's involved in doing that. I just... I find that there's more going on on the screen, honestly, in golf than there is sometimes in football. Sure, football's violent. Did you watch the Super Bowl this year and how close it was of a game? No, I don't ever watch the the Super Bowl. Watch it this year. I don't care how close the game was. Just, just, just watch it. I'll send you some play-by-plays, but it was absolutely fantastic this year. Um, But, but Carl, 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 listen. Editing it. That's the point. Okay, Carl, would you sit and watch a live stream of chess if it took 18 hours? Oh, gosh, no, probably not. Exactly. So why would someone watch, uh, you know, okay, maybe maybe a golf game doesn't last that long. Maybe a golf game lasts maybe five hours. Would you sit and watch a game of chess for five hours? The same game of chess? No, 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 no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You're putting words in my mouth. I never said I would watch an entire game of golf. I'm just saying, if, if it's on the screen, I find it interesting, and I can appreciate the skill. I would never watch the entire thing. I don't have that amount of dedication in my life for hardly anything five hours for a game of golf. No. But I'm just saying, I find it more engaging than, say, 
men's soccer, which is just like, you just see the little people just running across the field as fast as they can. They look like they're hardly moving because it's so large. I know what your problem is. You're jealous of their physique. I, I am not jealous. Oh, anybody's physique. Okay, that's not true. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha in a corner, Carl. But that is not the reason I don't like watching sports. I just don't find it terribly engaging, except for golf, for some odd reason. Because my brain works that way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we mentioned about last week with CRISPR, you could change a lot of things... Uh, on the genetic level. So maybe I will devote 10 years of research to figure out if there's a way to replace your love of golf with CRISPR. Uh, no, your love of golf with, let's say, a love of um, underwater basket weaving with okay, CRISPR. I never said I loved golf. All I said is I found it more engaging than football. That is my final statement on the matter. That is my complete opinion. We Secondly, just lost another. We just lost another listener because you said that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now we're down to negative six. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, underwater basket weaving. Hey, I took a class on that in college. It's actually fun. You know, I don't even know what that means. Are you weaving baskets while they're underwater? Yes. Okay. Yes. I don't know. That that just sounds like. An art class. I, I don't know why people always nag on underwater basket weaving. Because most people don't think it's an actual skill that you will need. It was so funny when I was at school because I took the class and I came home and I looked at my parents and I said, I did it, mom. I did it, dad. They said, what did you do? I took the ultimate class in college, underwater basket weaving. And I showed them my basket and it was about the same size as my wallet. And it was like, it was actually really well made. I'll I'll send you a picture of it. And it's just, it was the funniest thing in our household because they, cause mom and dad always joked about it. And they said, George, go to college and maybe you'll get a degree in underwater basket weaving. Now I tell them, now I tell them, don't tempt me. Well, okay, okay, okay. Hold on. Yeah, perhaps underwater basket weaving is not the most useful skill or the most marketable skill in uh, the modern world. But, I mean, if you're a business major, you have to take business calculus. But if you just go into, like, front desk accounting, are you going to use calculus? No. 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 There are programs out there. But, yeah. But, yeah, it, it, it becomes, by definition, not terribly useful to you. Well, or, I will say this, Carl. Now, you're in college, and you you're, you already had that... You already had that business calculus. What you could be doing while you have your desk job is you could go home and for four hours after you get home from work, instead of going and watching Game of Thrones or Rick and Morty, even though I've watched it, um, you could be trading options on the stock market. So don't discount that. Or you could go home and make baskets and sell them for money. You know what? You can you can make anything useful if you want. Yes, and I have. I've turned photography and video making into a business, and it's putting me through college. So ha. Nah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Still, I, I I don't know why people nag on underwater basket weaving so much. Yeah, perhaps it doesn't work towards any particular degree, except perhaps an art major. I guess I don't know. I'm not an art major, but clearly. Yeah. Well, do you want to end the podcast right here on this very awkward note? 
Just cut it, cut it right now. Just kidding, guys. We have finished this episode. We aren't going to leave you on a tangent like that. Not on even on a tangent. We're not going to leave you on a cliffhanger like that. Uh, you can follow Carl. I got it wrong last week. It is not Carl.Zebra. It's Carl underscore Zebra. And you can follow me on Instagram at GWPhotography. Last letter is an E. Um, yeah, check out our social media links. And we will see you in another seven days. Toodles.